darkness that seemed to have no dimensions. No up, no down, no left, no right. No right or wrong. Only unchanging darkness. And after a time, he began to feel that his plane was climbing. Yet at a glance at his instruments, it assured him that he was flying straight, level, and straight ahead. Yet the impression that he was climbing or going in an upward direction persisted and it grew stronger. Had his instruments gone faulty? Could he trust them? What if what he knew to be absolutely accurate was wrong? Finally, his impressions won, or his feelings, if you like, and he decided that something must be wrong with his instruments, that he had better not rely upon them, and so he began to fly by the seat of his pants, as the saying amongst pilots goes. Now, it wasn't much longer that a nearby farmer was making his way under a dark, overcast sky to his barn, when suddenly he heard a plane flying dangerously low, And a few moments later, he heard the dull explosion that told him that that plane had crashed. Upon investigation, with no real reason for the crash, uh, and no real reason for the crash was apparent, the obvious question was asked, what had caused this tragedy? The only conclusion that investigators could come to was that although the pilot had an absolute standard or guide by which to determine his position, he decided to trust his impressions and feelings rather than rely upon the very tool that was put there for that purpose. And in choosing to trust in his own impressions or feelings, he lost his life. Now, how many know this evening that God has given you and I an absolute standard for living? He has given us His word, which applies to every area of our lives. Yet tragically, many of us fail to let it guide us or to trust it. Instead of trusting God, we take things into our own hands and we let our emotions run wild. Now, why is that? The problem is that if we are not careful it's very easy for us to begin to think that we know better. And like this pilot in this opening illustration, if we allow ourselves to trust more in our own impressions and feelings, then we're going to get ourselves into a whole lot of trouble. We're better off trusting God's absolute truth tonight. Amen? And if we don't, it could cost us everything as well. Let's read our text. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, uh, going to start in verse 13. It says these words. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Hallelujah. Let's pray this evening, church. Father, we thank you for the absolute truth of your word, God. I pray tonight that it would pierce hearts and change lives, God. Help us in this place, God, I pray. Hide me behind your cross as we minister your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Let's look at firstly and consider absolute lacking. Now, the word absolute 
in Greek is pronounced apolitos. Can you say that with me tonight? Apolitos. All right, you guys can speak Greek. Hallelujah. And it means these words. It means complete, total, utter, perfect, pure, decided, definite, unquestionable, and final. You get the picture. So when God gave his son to die on the cross, and he said these words, he says, it is finished. It was an absolute finality that night. And it's an absolute blessing that because of that, you and I can now repent of our sins and come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Amen. That we can experience salvation. That we can experience restoration unto our Father in heaven. Because when he said it is finished, it really was finished that night. It was final. Hallelujah. He didn't do a half job on the cross. It was absolute and it was complete. Now, God's word clearly defines some absolutes for us. And thank God that we don't have to be confused. You're either saved or you're unsaved tonight. They're either lies or it's truth. You're either legally married or you're just shacking up. You get the picture, right? There's no gray areas. The Bible's clear. And I, for one, am grateful tonight that God's word gives us some clear boundaries to live by. Because how many know that it's the opposite in the world? Today, the message that we'll hear from the world is that there are no absolutes. Think what you want, say what you want, and do what you want. The philosophy of the multitudes seems to be that the only absolute is your own personal opinion, which translates, do as you please. However, at least there are still some things that are absolute, right? If you break the law, there's going to be consequences. Right? They don't muck around. If you, you're going to do a break in Anna, you're going to pull a gun on somebody, you're going to get caught for that stuff, you're going to get pulled up, it's going to be some consequences for that, right? They don't just say, oh, you know what, you know, if that felt good to you, then that's okay. Right? And aren't you glad? I'm, I'm glad that we have laws of the land that protect us. Right? Otherwise, it would be even worse, the world we live in would be even more chaos. And so society's rules or the law offer a degree of protection and stability. And in some cases, they're the only thing that are stopping some people doing whatever they want, whenever they want. Right? I felt like it, and so I did it. That's not a new concept. You know, you ever hear that, like, you know, we're living in this, this day and age today where things are out of control. You know, it's worse now than it ever was before. You know, or, or back in my day, you know, it wasn't as bad as it is today. You ever heard anyone say that kind of thing? Well, I beg to differ. It's not a new thing. It was exactly the same in Bible times. In the book of Psalms, verse 21 and, uh, chapter 21 and verse 2 says these words, that every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Now, what causes this? I'm glad you asked tonight. Sin, the flesh, our carnal desires, selfishness, man's nature. And what happens is the result 
is a serious distortion of right and wrong. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 5 and verse 20, it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You know, it's upside down. It's back to front. It's not the way God intended it to be. You know, we're hearing all kinds of things, you know, that they're calling, uh, it's a great thing to be celebrated. It's just craziness in the world today. Sin and carnage and all sorts of stuff going on. And we're hearing it's been, you know, basically forced down our throats that, you know, this is a good thing, but it's not. Does anyone know somebody that always thinks that they're right and never wrong? Don't look around. Wives, don't look at your husbands. Husbands, don't look at your wives. Just a bit of wisdom there. (laughs) You know, somebody who thinks that they're right and never wrong. Many people in the world believe that they are able to, and in fact that they have a right to, choose their own values, their own beliefs, and their own guidelines for life. They say in their heart, I don't care what God says. All will decide what is right and what is wrong. The problem is when this mentality begins to sneak into the church. This popular mentality has become the anthem of the age. And along with it, many other problem, problems. And I'll tell you what it is. It's a confusing spirit. And this is one of the reasons why there are many variations of contradicting beliefs across Christianity, right? So we have the Bible, the truth, the foundation of all Christianity. But yet there's all these churches with all these varied beliefs. Why is that? Well, it's because, you know, uh, the church of the chosen frozen have decided that they don't like that particular part of the Bible. So we don't like that. We're going to step away from mainstream Christianity. We're going to create our own, our own arm, our own branch, or our own version and so the result is confusion. Right? How do I know which one's right, which one's true? Well, we're going to go back to the foundation, the Bible, the Word of God. That's the one that's true. Hallelujah. And so what happens is, rather than us change, right? when we find something in the Word of God, it says, you know, you shouldn't sin, you shouldn't do this or that. Rather than us change, what we do is we say, I don't like that. I want to continue to do things my way. I like my sin more than I like God's word. And so rather than change, which is the evidence of salvation, right? You know what the evidence of someone being saved is? They begin to change. They're not the same person two weeks after they got saved that they were before. They're a completely different person after two years. And man, six, seven, eight years down the track, you wouldn't even recognize them because God has done such a work in their life, right? That's the evidence of salvation, church, change. And so rather than change, what they say is, I will change my belief. I will change the word of God. That part of the Bible does not suit what I want to do, so I will change it. Let's look at then, secondly, absolute truth. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson were on a camping trip. 
In the middle of the night, Holmes nudged Watson awake and says, Watson, look up the sky and tell me what you see. I see a million stars, my dear Holmes. And what do you think about these stars? Well, a number of things, he says, lighting his pipe. He's not a Christian. Astronomically, he says, I observe that there are millions of galaxies and billions of stars and planets. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Meteorologically, I expect that the weather will be fine and clear. And theologically, I see that God is powerful and man, his creation, small and insignificant. What about you, Holmes? Watson, you fool. Somebody has stolen our tent. And so if you didn't catch that, you know, jerks are lame when you have to explain them. Here's this guy, he's got all this knowledge, right? And he misses the point. The point is that the tent has gone. And so like Watson, we can be so deceived by our own ability to diagnose the things of life that we miss the screaming obvious. You know, there can be a difference tonight between our conclusions and God's. And many times there can be a difference between our opinion and reality. And so are you willing to admit that tonight? Because if not, there could be a chance that you are self-deceived. We don't like being lied to, do we? Anyone here, you, you like being lied to? No, didn't think so. If you like being lied to, that would, that would be kind of strange, right? We don't like being lied to, and, and, and in fact, it's, it's kind of insulting and, and, and infuriating when you find out that someone's been lying to you. You, know, you, you go to a shop, you buy something, you get ripped off. No one likes that. No one likes that kind of thing. And yet, we do that to ourselves. We deceive ourselves because discovering that we've been self-deceiving is never easy. It means that when we've been deceiving ourselves and we, and we sort of come to that understanding and that revelation, what it means for us is that we have to change. And that's why it's not easy. Um, we're all familiar with Ray Comfort. The way of the master, Ray Comfort, he's got all these video series. I was talking to brother before uh, service began. He's all these hints and tips on witnessing and different things. Watch it. It'll help you to be a better witness on the street and have impact with people. One of the questions that Ray asked while he's witnessing is, is there any possibility that you could be wrong? And from time to time, you and I would do well to stop and ask that question of ourselves. The problem with self-deception is that it can create a mental disconnect between right and wrong and it will justify what is wrong, making it become right in our mind. All right, let me say that again. Self-deception will create a mental disconnect between right and wrong and will justify what is wrong, making it become right in our own mind. I don't think it is wrong, therefore it's not wrong. Romans chapter 2 and verse 15 says these words, They show that the work of the law is written in their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness that their conflicting thoughts accuse 
or even excuse them. So the Bible te- uh, teaches us right from wrong, right? Good and evil. It teaches, uh, teaches us about these absolutes and how God uses our conscience to tell us what's right and what's wrong. And so you're either going to allow your conscience to accuse you or you're going to damage it enough until it will excuse you. That's not my conviction. Have you ever heard someone say that? Well, that's good for you, but that's not good for me. And what's good for me is good for me. And what's good for you is good for you. Or you know, Christians, you know, I, don't, I don't have a personal conviction about that. You ever heard someone say that? I have a problem with that saying. That's not my personal conviction. The problem is that you and I don't have a right to have a personal conviction on the things that God has already given us a conclusion on. And so when God records his laws in the Bible, his rules for life, he is not simply giving us good advice. He is not giving us a suggestion or an opinion. He is laying down absolute truth that springs from his character and his consistency tonight. Hallelujah. So then let's look at thirdly and finally, the good news, absolute freedom. I want to bring to you tonight a moral dilemma. Picture this with me, if you will. You are an eyewitness to a crime. A man has robbed the bank, but instead of keeping the money for himself, he donates it to a poor orphanage that can now afford to feed, clothe, and care for its children. You know who committed the crime. And if you go to the authorities with the information, there's a good chance that the money will be returned to the bank, leaving lots of kids in need. What do you do? The first option, turn in the robber to the authorities because right is right. Or the second option, say nothing since the money went to what you deem to be a good cause. What do you do? I'm not going to give you the answer tonight. But how many know that there are things that are wrong regardless of what your opinion or choice on the matter is? You know, in the Bible, we have many clear examples. You know, murder, abuse, robbery. You know, these things are the big things that we can say, yep, that's wrong, right? You know, the the, the things that we see in the newspaper, the police are chasing people for those things. And you and I, you know, we feel, uh, you know, morally high ground, don't we? And we go, oh man, that's just wrong. But what about lying? Have you called in sick to work lately? Because you were feeling tired? Probably because of a stupid decision to stay up late the night before. Smokes. I don't know if you guys have point systems on your license here in New Zealand. But in Australia, you get 13 points on your license when you first when you first start. You go through the learners and all that sort of stuff. When you get your full license, you get 13 points. And each time you break the law... 
you get a fine, which is quite hefty, and you lose points. Right? You get done speeding 10 kilometers or over, you lose two points. If you get done over 15 kilometers, you lose three points and so on. And if you lose all of your points, you lose your license. Right? And that's good, right? Because we don't want lunatics on our roads endangering our lives. We, we, we support this as Christians, don't we? Hallelujah. And so in Australia, what people do is they lose all their points and then they call up their relatives and they go, oh, listen, um, any chance you could say that you were driving my car the other day? I'll give you 200 bucks if you say that you were driving my car so that I don't lose all of my points and then lose my license. This is happening in the church. My goodness, what have we come to? What about stealing? You know, you think, oh man, I don't steal anything. It's been years since I stole anything. I used to steal things. I used to love doing stock take at work because I used to take a heck of a lot of stock. (laughs) But what about taking longer lunch breaks than what you're supposed to? Oh. felt that what about showing up to, uh, to work late cheating the boss cheating the company you know Christians let me just throw this in for free you should be the best worker in your workplace if you're a born again Christian right you should be a standout employee and we wonder why our workmates won't come to church when we invite them Ooh. Cheating, have you done your taxes lately? Oh, come on, the pastor, that's just creative accounting, right? Relax. Whatever it may be, you get the idea, lust, gossip, etc. The good news is that you and I don't have to live in the messy gray areas of life. John chapter 8 verse 32 says these words, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free tonight. Hallelujah. You know, it's human nature for us to rank sin, isn't it? You know, in a a race, you know, this guy's first place, second place, and then all the other losers are after that, right? And, And so that's how we rank things. And what we also do is we begin to rank sin. This is a big sin. This is a small sin. This is a really bad sin. You know, but these little sins, they're not such a big deal. God's, God's not going to judge me for those. Come on. Did God give you a secret formula to work out the categorization of sin? Are you holding back on us? Do you know better than anyone else What's a big sin? What's a small sin? I don't think so. The real question tonight is, is it right or wrong according to God? 1 John chapter 5, verse 17 and 18 says, Know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Whew. Whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him hallelujah 
You know, it's very easy and common for us to justify or excuse ourselves. It does not apply to me. Uh, that doesn't apply to me. Yeah, yeah, that guy, yeah, he needs to get right. But, you know, I'm all good. Can I remind you tonight that the Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you know what that word all means in Greek? All. Do you know what it means in Psalmon? All. Right? English, every, all is all. That's you, 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 me. Every single one of us have fallen short of the glory of God and sinned. And so, it brings me to the conclusion of how do I avoid self-deception and self-justification? I want to give us three keys before I close very quickly this evening and the first one is don't jump jump to your own conclusions the first part of our text says these words let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter oh hallelujah that's some that's some good advice for some people let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter so many times you and i we hear part of the story and we're ready to go to war we're strapping our swords on, man. We're going to go down there and take some heads off, right? But you haven't heard both sides of the story. Cool your jets. You know, there's wisdom in hearing the whole conclusion and not jumping to your own. Number two is remember that it's God's word that is absolute and allow it to judge. It's not your opinion or your emotions. The second part of the text says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. And the third one is, simply don't justify it. If something is wrong and you're involved in it, or someone else that you know is involved in it, don't justify it. We need to call a spade a spade and judge it according to God's word, not our opinion. In the book of James, chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. The law that gives freedom. That's interesting, isn't it? That the law gives us freedom. The law of God, if we will live by it, and not our own emotions and not our own opinions on things, we'll allow it to judge and we'll use it as an absolute guide for our lives, then we're going to live in freedom. We don't have to wander around in the gray areas of life because we can trust God's word to be absolute. And so can I say at this point, what is it that God is asking you to do that you are justifying not doing? Is it calling tonight? Ministry? Maybe God's challenged you to be involved. Is it your marriage, money, family? Is it your job? Is it an apology or an attitude that you need to deal with that you are justifying just not doing? And so I'm not saying that there are no gray areas in life, that everything is black and white, right? Of course there are gray areas and there's some things that are just going to have to be worked through. But what I am saying is praise God for his absolutes. Praise God for his clear, known, tested and tried 
areas of life. We don't have to go through life confused, dancing around, uh, trying to justify our actions and becoming self-deceived in the meantime. If God says that it's wrong, it's wrong and don't do it. How many know tonight that it's always better to be free and safe? When all is said and done, God will judge everyone on the basis of his absolute, eternal, unchangeable law. The last part of our text says, For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing. The thing that you think people are getting away with, guess what? They're not. The thing that you think you're getting away with, guess what? You're not. God sees. And when we can get this revelation, when we can get this understanding in our hearts and in our spirits, it equals freedom. We don't need to be jerked around by the actions of others because there is a stability in having an absolute confidence that God sees And I'm going to stay on track and stay on course no matter what. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, there is one unchanging source of moral and spiritual truth and authority. It's God and His Word. This is an absolute that you and I can trust. And this is an absolute that will serve as an anchor for our lives. The truth of God's word is an unchanging reality like gravity. If I was to throw this microphone up in the air, guess what's going to happen? If I don't catch it, it's going to hit the ground. If you jump off this stage, you're not going to float up to the ceiling. You're going to, right? It's gravity. It's, It's an unchanging reality. We can't change that. And so is the truth of God's word. And so, God has given us absolutes as a means of guiding us into a satisfying, happy, productive Christian life. How many want to have that tonight? I said a satisfying, happy, productive Christian life. Oh, come on, church. We don't have to be miserable. We can live in the victory and dominion of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And so I encourage you tonight that you would make an absolute decision today. You're going to live your life guided by God's absolute word. Amen. Praise God, church. Let's bow our heads tonight. Don't want to hold you too much longer.